Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. So this week, we are taking a little break from murder, and we have a very special guest on. Dominic Dunn once said, people are fascinated with the rich. At Ivy League Murders, we would add that people are fascinated when the rich fall, when the veneer cracks and we get a glimpse behind the perfection. Our guest today, award-winning playwright and novelist, Jane Hitchcock, expounds on this theme and casts a spotlight on a rarefied New York society. In Hitchcock's world, Kings and popes of Wall Street, their dispossessed wives, secret mistresses, and corrupt lawyers are woven into an ornate tableau of New York society. Hitchcock's characters summer in East Hampton and ski Samaritz in the winter. But don't be fooled, there's nothing stiff or stodgy here. Her novels are wonderfully rich, layered, and a bit naughty. Poker is one of Hitchcock's personal passions, and she's good at it. One often gets the feeling that her characters are playing a hand, and it's a hand you didn't see coming. It's our pleasure and honor to welcome you to the show, Jane. It's a pleasure and honor to be here on the show. Back at you. <laughs> this is really exciting. We've been very excited for this. Absolutely. So you started out as a playwright. What prompted your move to writing novels about high society murder mystery genre? Right. So I'll tell you exactly. Harold Pinter, Nobel Prize winner, brilliant playwright. My reason for being a playwright, because he was my idol. He directed a play of mine on the West End of London called Vanilla which starred Joanna Lumley, Sean Phillips. Actually, for Joanna Lumley fans and, and Ab Fab fans, she, uh, Joanna got the part in Ab Fab because Ruby Wax came to see Vanilla and understood that Joe was a total comedian and was fantastic, okay? And wow. so, okay, so the play Vanilla, which was kind of a very veiled thing about, I, I, I sat down and wrote it in three days, uh, it was when I read that uh, Imelda Marcos was being bailed out of jail by her best friend, Doris Duke. And I thought, if this is not a rich person's story, what <laughs> is? Okay. I mean, what is? So I wrote it in three days. And curiously enough, Sonny Maida and his wonderful wife, Gita, were giving a party that night for Harold Pinter. And they introduced me to him. And I just was so tongue-tied. And I went up and I said, Mr. Pinder, I've just finished my latest play and you're the reason I'm a playwright and I'm just honored to be. It was like meeting God, okay? And he said, send me your play. So I said, oh my God, of course. So I delivered my play to him 
in the hotel where they all the Brits stayed. And I was getting divorced at the time. And I was talking to my ex-husband, Billy, and the other line rings and the voice on the other line says, Jane. And I said, yes. And he said, Jane Stanton Hitchcock. And I said, yes, who is this? He said, it's Harold Pinter. And I said, yeah, right. And he said, I've read your play. Well, okay. Billy was on hold and I don't think he ever got off hold because I never went back to Billy and that was it. And he said, I want to direct your play in London. I go over to London, Michael Reddington produced it. It was star-studded cast and it got the worst reviews. I've gotten bad reviews, but I never got reviews like this. They were horrible. And so I basically said the next time I fell on my face would be without the aid of actors and a director. And I sat down and wrote my first novel, which was Trick of the Eye. Now there's a little coda to this story. I was the only female playwright on the West End of London. I am the only female playwright that Harold Pinter has ever directed a play of. And about six months ago, I got a letter from a scholar who worked at the Pinter archives. And he said, I want to know about you and your play because it has completely been almost erased by history because it got terrible reviews. It was considered an anomaly in this Nobel Prize winner, great man's work. So he investigated my play and he investigated my relationship with the cast and with Harold and everything. I sent him notes and everything and he read the play. And I said to him, Harold wrote me a letter saying I influenced his later work. And he said, I have news for you. You did. And I went, what? <laughs> How that would be? Yeah, well, in a way, because after he directed Vanilla, he wrote a couple of plays and everything about parties. And this scholar who read my play and is a scholar of Pinter, he actually does line transfers from my play to Harold's play, and it's going to be published. He's gotten permission from the Pinter archives to publish it, and it'll be in the record. So all these years later, the idea that I might have influenced the great Harold Pinter, you could knock me over with a feather right there, and that's it. And it'll be published in 2024. Fantastic. Well, we'll see, you know, but it's really, I've read the paper. It, he just went into my whole career. People just thought that I was this one-off person, but he went into the very first things I've ever written. And he went into, you know, I've always been concerned with class and with parties and with what's at the top versus people who have everything. I always say that money exaggerates who you are. If you're good, you're going to be better. And if you're bad, you're going to jump right down on the devil's trampoline. And I grew up in a world of money and striving. And in one world, my parents were very much involved with the arts. My mother was the first Lois Lane on radio. And Leonard Bernstein conducted Happy Birthday to me when I was 21. So I grew up in a whole atmosphere of, I used to go to game nights at Steve Sondheim's. And I, my first job out of college was working for, no, in college, I quit college to do it, was working for Mike Nichols. And so I had this whole theatrical background. And then, of course, when I married Billy Hitchcock, that threw me into the world of super high society, whatever that is. We got to go into it because it has marched into the twilight of inconsequence 
now. No one gives a rat's ass about any of these people. And it's pretty to look at their pictures. But when I think that we were all kind of crazy slaves to this kind of four women in New York who ran the institutions and everybody wanted to go to their parties, I just look back and I go, how crazy were we? It was just a construct, you know, that we made up. One thing I find very fascinating is you really give the reader in your novels a glance into this kind of secret world that most of us never get to. We read about it, we hear about it, and kind of like Mrs. Astor's 400, it's something that most of us are never going to be in any of those dinner parties. Or How lucky are you? <laughs> rub elbows with those. How, oh, how lucky. Good. <laughs> Some pretty, people have lucky. all the luck. Oh, those parties. Tell us about those parties. I mean, what do you, why? Oh what do you, say? Well, you know, it, it just, I mean, unless you were with your pals, I mean, they could be absolutely deadly. You'd be sitting next to people who, I mean, I just remember going to a party in England and sitting next to this very grand Duke or something and saying, oh God, I wish I were anywhere else. And now, of course, I say to myself, if I'm sitting at a table, I want to be in a hand. And by a hand, I mean a poker hand because I've had parties up to my, beyond my head. And the, the fakeness that goes on. In social crimes, I say that you have your real friends and you have your ami monden. And your real friends are the people who are really with you. And if you have maybe five of them, you're lucky. And the ami monden are people that you can actually hate, but you smile at them, you laugh at them because they're in the same pool you are. They're swimming in the same pool. And therefore you have to be kind of nice because one of them can drown you if they want to. It just depends on whether your luck is up or down. You're beholden to people that very often you don't much like, or they've, they've divorced your best friend, or they've had rifts that you know about. And you know, it's complicated. How did you decide to mix crime in with your novels? Oh, because you just want to murder everybody if you go to enough <laughs> of those parties. <laughs> I mean, you really do. And you go to enough of them and you just say, okay, <laughs> I wish this person would shut up. There's one person who died and right on the eve of a very big dinner. And a friend of mine said, yes, he had a choice between coming to this dinner and dying. And he made the right choice. <laughs> oh there are a lot of crossovers i have to say i i love love your books i just have to i Thank have you. to just admire for a moment and I, I i picked up social crimes first and jane i literally like canceled an appointment i just needed to see this thing through i just loved it i loved your main character joe slater i have to say i i feel like there's a lot of crossover between your work kind of what we do, which is really look at power and privilege and people who have, have it all, and particularly for us, people who have an Ivy League education and all that kind of um, tells about a person, and then they, they just choose to kind of throw it all away. And you kind of do in fiction what we try to do in nonfiction in many ways. It's got, you, you, you examine people in this social milieu who really make catastrophic decisions or, or catastrophic things happen to them. And I'm just wondering, like somebody like Joe Slater, the, your main character, 
I will ask a question. I, I absolutely promise. Is that based on on a real life scenario? Is that something that you saw socially? Well, I saw a lot of the characters in social crimes socially. Like, for example, Clara Willman, there was a billionaire's uh, reading club. Then it was millionaires because billions weren't around as much. They would go and they would read and dress up and everything. And then they would get a lot of stock tips because their husbands were all <laughs> there. Or they would, they would learn where the best jewels were, the best auctions were. The thing about society, when I was, you know, grew up in it, sort of not grew up, but was in it for the time, was that you had to have the best of everything. You know, you went to the couture and you went to Jar, who had the best jewelry and all this kind of stuff. And more importantly, and to everybody's credit, you actually had to do something philanthropically. Now, Jane Reitzman was a very, very good friend of mine. I loved Jane. And she donated the Reitzman rooms to the Metropolitan, which she had a museum quality collection of Marie Antoinette furniture and everything. And she donated it all to the to the Met. And the Reitzman's rooms are just in, incomparable. They're so beautiful. And Jane was not an airhead socialite. She was a, a curator at the Met told me she was more knowledgeable than he was. So there, there were women there and Jane was just a sales girl. I mean, she, that was the other great myth about social life is that you had to come from, as you said, well, the Ivy League or, or a great family. That's rubbish. A lot of these girls were hookers. <laughs> and they married, you know, Madame Claude, which was, who was a great French uh, madam, she supplied beautiful women to powerful men all over the world. I don't want to mention any names, but, you know, a lot of these women were stewardesses. They were, and so the fuck what? I mean, they made something of themselves. They did marry rich men. And because they married rich men, they were taken seriously and in private taken apart. Mm. That's the thing. People would go, oh, ho, ho, well, she was a sales girl or she was a stewardess. And actually, my feeling is that's what made them more interesting people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the journey that they took. So Joe takes that journey. She was a wait, you know, she was a waitress uh, in uh, in Oklahoma. So for me, you know, she had all the values of helping her mom. And, and I lived in Oklahoma for three years and I loved it. And uh, I met just fantastic people in Oklahoma. You know, she was from the Midwest. And, and so then she gets to be up on a pinnacle of New York society. And that's why I love Joe. Then, of course, she becomes a murderer. But you kind of understand why, because she wasn't going to lie down. I mean, one of the inspirations really for social crimes was the House of Mirth, which I read when I was very young and wept. We, we weren't allowed to keep the lights on in my boarding school. So I went into the John to finish it. I was weeping on the John, crying because Lily Bart lies down and takes laudanum because these idiots in society were going to crush her. And Wharton is such a marvelous writer that she makes you absolutely empathize with this woman. And, and the times you really understood why she could not betray the awful Gus Trenner and give the letters and all this sort of thing for those who've read it. And then I reread it in my 30s. I adapted for the stage, The Custom of the Country. And so I reread a lot of Wharton and I reread The House of Mirth and I was less happy with Lily. I thought, oh, you, you really surrendered there, Lil. <laughs> you, you blew it because 
And, and I said to and myself, if somebody tries to take my position, I'm going to do something about it. And then I sort of became Joe. I have to ask you, is the Countess based on anybody real? I have to yes. ask you. Okay. Yes. Oh, got it. We'll talk after the podcast. Okay. Yeah. After. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, you know, but in, in movies, she's all about Eve. Yes. Oh, I mean, in yeah, the movies, yeah. she's, yeah. she's, she's yeah. Ann Baxter. She's, you know, she's, yeah. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that makes true. sense. But that yeah. happens in life and it happens all the time in corporate America now. Oh, that makes you so know, much sense now. Mm -hmm. You know, and and That's and true. all the time, you know, that people attach themselves to powerful people and they just, oh, she's so nice or he's so nice. And meanwhile, El Snaco in the grasso. I mean so true. Yes. Yeah. So can we ask you a little bit about my God, Dominic? Dominic. Yes. Our, just, our God, our God. Okay. yeah, I should say. I, I didn't want to say <laughs> He that. would love you guys. Yeah, he was really a close friend. The inspiration for our podcast, you have to understand. Yeah. You know, when oh, Laura yeah. and I got together, our our love of, of Nick, as you call him, if anything, Laura was a little more fangirl about him, but I love Yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably read every one of his books 10 times. I mean, I've just been a, such an obsessed fan for so long. And the fact that you were actually friends with him is just. Oh, no, I was really good friends with him. Yeah. In fact, when I met him, he was broke. And he, I, we used to give him train fare to come out and stay with me in East Hampton. And the thing about Nick is that he was this fantastic raconteur. I mean, he was so fun to be with. And one day I had lunch with him. And he said, you know, I've been doing all this research on Anne Woodward and I'm doing it for nonfiction, but I'm learning things that cannot be corroborated. And so, you know, he said, I'm thinking of doing it as fiction. I said, do it as fiction. Fabulous. Do it as fiction. Now, Woody Woodward, who was one of Anne's sad sons, was, was also, I knew Woody and I knew he had a brother who, I mean, they both committed suicide. That's how, that's how wonderful having money is. Okay. I know. Uh, great. My own two half brothers also died of drugs. So another story there. But anyway, Nick, Nick was just great, but he was always known as John Gregory Dunn and Joan Didion's brother-in-law and brother. And of course, Joan Didion is a goddess and, and John Gregory Dunn was a good writer. I mean, there's no question, but they were the gods and goddesses of, of Hollywood. And then his daughter was killed, okay, by this chef, strangled. And Nick said he was identified in the paper. No, she was identified. Dominique, beautiful, beautiful girl, was identified as John Gregory Dunn's niece. Ugh. And it killed Nick. And then, of course, the great Tina Brown gives him this assignment to cover the trial. And the trial is a total sham. The judge is a total terrible prima donna idiot worried about what glasses he should wear instead of defending the honor of this, this beautiful, beautiful girl. And it just, something in Nick just turned a switch and he became the artist that he always was. Yeah. And, and he never, ever, ever got out of touch with me. We used to talk all the time, particularly when he went to Monaco to research the death of Edmund Safra. And of course, he was a great friend of Grace Kelly. And he just remembered, he told me that when he went to Monaco and he went to pay his allegiance to her, to her grave and everything, 
he thought to himself, oh my gosh, when the when all of the fanfare pulled out of Monaco because she had such a brilliant wedding and she was so gorgeous. And there she was, this brilliant actress kind of left there to be a princess, which she excelled at. And she was just a, apparently a really lovely, lovely person. And Nick missed her very, very much. But maybe her life, again, was not as happy. Maybe the fairy tale wasn't as happy as it should have been because she was such a creative actress and such a, you know, and then you, you know, you're in Monaco small. And so anyway, so anyway, so we had our theories about who killed Edmund Safra. Was he killed or was he, you know, was he not killed? And, And then I just, we did some research, Nick and I, and we decided, okay, he, he was killed no matter what they say. You also had a close relationship with Jackie Onassis. Oh, well, yes, yes. She was, was that- really, she was a best friend. I mean, I, I was honored to read the 23rd Psalm at her funeral, actually. And Did um, yeah. you know her and from childhood? Or- no, 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 no. I met Jackie, uh, my very close friend, Edwige de Nantoy, who was married to the French ambassador to the UN, gave a very small dinner for, or it might have been Mrs. Astor, somebody like that at the Metropolitan Museum, only 20 people. They opened the museum. And I was seated one away from Jackie. And on my right was Bill Paley, another very good friend of mine. And I heard Mrs. Onassis, as I called her then, talking to Bill about the custom of the country and Edith Wharton's great, great novel. And, And she kind of included me in the conversation and she said, Janie, I found a book in my friend Bunny Mellon's guest room of the custom. And, and I said, yes, I sent Bunny that book as a thank you present. And I have adapted that book as a play. And we are doing it up at the Mount, Mrs. Wharton's house, produced by my wonderful friend, Tony Kaiser. And I just hope it's going to go well. And it's all going to open off Broadway. And she said, I'm going to come to the opening. So anyway, she read the play. And she said, she called me up and she asked me for lunch at Le Cirque. No, was it at Le Cirque? I think, yeah, the first time was at Le Cirque. Wow. And then we started going to Mortimer's and Sete Mezzo, lunching a lot. And I became very close to her. And I, in fact, wrote a lot of Trick of the Eye and some of the Witch's Hammer in her house up in Martha's Vineyard. When I was getting divorced in 1987, she told me, don't go to East Hampton again, because those where your memories are, come up to the vineyard. And so she sort of took care of me on the vineyard when I was there. I was getting divorced and it was hard and everything. And she became a truly, truly wonderful mentor. I, I'd never really met anyone like her because she was so perceptive and so hilarious. And I mean, that's what people don't get because she had the wisdom to just keep her mouth shut. Not like everyone today who talks and talks and talks and, you know, they think by talking it's going to help and it's not. And she was, but she, if you were with her, she was one of the funniest people on the planet. She was hilarious and she was very precise. She could just zing you. And, and of course she was brilliant. And we talked a lot about literature and other things. I kept a journal. And it's interesting because I know when she died, I was asked to speak of her. And 
I said, absolutely not. But it's amazing how many best friends she had after she died. Wow. Just saying. Interesting. Just saying. Okay. But in my yeah. in my house, there is a journal. You've had such Same. a profound life and so many and so many interesting people in it, Jane. Interesting and crazy too, and dangerous. I've had I've had every kind of person in my life. I've been I, privileged. It, and I and I, I want to bring it back to your writing because that really comes through in your in your books. What I love about it is it's it's high society, but it is a bit crazy. It is a bit volatile, these characters. And I wanted to just briefly talk about your book Bluff and and your own po poker playing and also Sklar. So, you know, oh, just, well, yeah, well, yeah. Sklar is modeled on the on the man who swindled 40 million dollars at from my mother. It's a famous case. Kenneth Ira Starr. Ken, yes. if you're listening, I put you in jail. I yes. went to his sentencing. Yes. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. I ratted on him early on and I was like Cassandra. No one it, it's all chronicled in Bluff if anybody wants to read it and it's true. I chronicled him. And I kept a journal with my wonderful, two wonderful people, my mother's caretaker, Jim Fennell, shout out, and my mother's secretary, Jane Ellis. We all knew what he was up to. We knew. And I went to the DA in secret and they didn't listen to me. And I said, okay, fine. They did go interview my mother and they said, well, we, you know, we don't have enough evidence. And, other, and, and, I, and I said to my kids, who was the head of the fraud squad, I said, what they do to one, they will do to another. And years later, he did it. But I can tell you that my parents introduced Ken Starr to everybody from Betty Bacall, Lauren Bacall, to Mike Nichols. Mike and I, is, Mike is the reason I finally got my mother to see reason because he finally, well, it's a long story and too long for this but it was instrumental. But she introduced him to everybody and he became everybody's accountant. And people became so frightened of him that when I started bad-mouthing him, they said, we, 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 you know, no, no, he represents so many important people and I'm in the theater and I can't, I'm in the arts and I can't do anything. And I said, just you wait. And then yeah, of course, poor Irma, Uma Thurman was finally, the feds got involved. And that's where I made my mistake. I went to the Manhattan DA I should have gone to, I should have gone federal because then they could have looked at my mother's bank accounts and seen what he was doing. I mean, it, it's kind of, I just also want to let our listeners know it just, uh, can I just describe the opening scene, of yes. Bluff, which I love. And in this Thank first, you. in this first scene, a socialite arms herself in a tailored Eve suit, a faux Birkin bag, and a gun. And she walks into the restaurant in the Four Seasons. The Tavern on the Green. No, it's the no, Four Seasons. Four Seasons. Oh, I four thought seasons. it was Tavern on the Green. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Said, no, not at all. So she she walks into the Four Seasons, the restaurant, and she shoots a billionaire. So that is the very first scene of Bluff. Right. And it's amazing because it reminds me actually reminded me a little bit of the Barbara Kogan case, one of the cases yeah. that, we've, that we've covered of just sort of enough, you know, again, it is in that case, it's a, it was a, it was a, a scorned woman case, but it just, your books just are, are that I love just those scenes are, are just, are just so great. And bluff obviously is a reference to poker. You know, you regularly play in the world. Series. I do, but I want to just go back to that scene. The person yeah. that she shoots son Sunderland is a real person. 
in my life. And I'll tell you what happened. When Ken was arrested, my mother was in a fund with Ken and this person. And when Ken was arrested, this person, this billionaire called everybody to apologize, like Barbara Walters and like Nick, everybody. And he didn't call me to apologize. All right. So, you know, you really take your life in your hands when you diss an author. And I said, I couldn't believe that my mother had invested 15, 20 million dollars in this crazy fund. And because the guy was so estimable and had, I mean, he is a world famous figure. And I said, you know what? I'm going to kill you in print. <laughs> I love and that. I did. <laughs> and I did. The mighty pen, right? Exactly. I sat down that when I heard how many people he had called saying, oh, I didn't know. And I'm so sorry. And I just, you're my friend and everything. I just, I was waiting for the call. What about mom? What about my mother who is responsible for putting all this money? And I said, all right, okay, fine, fine. Bang. So this person <laughs> was in cahoots, obviously, with Ken Starr then. No, I, I, don't, I doubt it. Okay. Yeah. I doubt it. Okay. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it, I, I'm sure he, he was not in cahoots. In fact, I'm positive he wasn't in cahoots because Ken was getting people to invest in this fund that they had together. Was it sort of a Madoff like Ponzi type scheme? What what with was Ken? Yeah, no, Ken. Ken would say, for example, I can get you money for your movie, for your fund, for your this, for that, and then he would use my mother's money as a piggy bank. Oh, yeah. And just he would just say, and you know, I can get it for your political campaign, and because he was such a powerful moneymaker, a rainmaker, he would get invited to everything. So he became, you know, like he, he was, he became a real power player in New York as a result of my mother's piggy bank. And not just my mother, by the way, Bunny Mellon. And Bunny Mellon, he had her in his thrall for years. And years later, after he was arrested, Bunny, at the age of like 105, called me up. I tried to warn Bunny and Bunny wouldn't take my call. And, you know, she was wedded to him. And I called and she wouldn't, and she called me, she was blind and everything. And she apologized. And her dear grandson told me that I was the only person in the world that she ever apologized to ever in her life. Mrs. Mellon, cause she was, you know, she was so grand. Bunny, I said to her, Bunny, get out of there. And oh no, Jane, you don't know. And my mother was in his thrall for years. And I tried, one of the worst things Ken ever did was to separate me from my mother. Cause he told, he kept telling her, Jane just wants your money. She's lying. She's jealous of you. And, and it just, and, and so my mother would just listen to him. Amazing. Fortunately, she came to her senses, but not before he had stolen pretty much half of maybe more of her, of her fortune. Amazing. Oh, good God. It's, it's frightening, isn't it? This, uh, you got to be careful in life. And, and, you know, just because somebody is appears grand and rich and has, and talks the talks, you know, watch out because it's, you know, that's what your show is about. It's kind of scraping off the, the veneer, mm -hmm. the, the, the gilding, the enamel. Um, it, it very often people who have the most to hide come back as very slick. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. We, we see that. We see that a lot. Times. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. We absolutely see that a lot. And so I just want to say one thing about money. My stepfather, who was very kind to me, not my real father, who I never saw, I only saw twice in my life, but 
my stepfather was a wonderful man. He brought Volkswagen to the United States. He was very, very rich, but very unassuming. And he had such a fascinating history. I mean, his best friend was Erwin Shaw, the great writer. And Erwin, in fact, dedicated his book of short stories to my stepfather. But my dad, I consider him my dad. He once said to me, Janie, just remember, anything you can buy with money is cheap. Wow. And and that is so true. And particularly now I'm wrestling with health issues and I'm, I, I, I think of it often because all the money in the world cannot raise your kids right, buy happiness, anything. And by the way, if you're the real thing, you don't have to carry it. You don't have to carry a real Birkin bag. If so you're true. the real thing, you, right, you, you can just ditch, ditch the Chanel. I mean, look at, look at Princess Kate. She's dressing in wonderfully affordable clothes. Why? Because she's going to be the queen of England. She does not have to impress anybody with a Birkin bag or an Hermes scarf. She just doesn't have to. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, I've run out of, I've run out yeah, of books. I, 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 need been, a, I need a new. Yeah. I need a new. Well, so, okay. Can I just put in a plug for a book that of mine that is not like a normal Jane Hitchcock book, The Witch's Hammer. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, read it because okay. it's based on a historical document. I wrote it in 1994 before Dan Brown. I think it's pretty prophetic today. Oh, I'm excited. I know, me too. That's your one I have not read. Have you read Trick of the Eye? Because no one ever, ever, ever guesses the ending of Trick of the Eye, no, no matter what. I mean, it's, you know, you think you're solving a murder, but you're not. So I'm excited. I feel like, well, same with Bluff, but that's just, you know. Yeah, I Bluff, and Bluff is going to be made. I mean, uh, yes. I, 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 I hope so. And so, by the way, the social crimes, but I have a fabulous producer for Bluff, Donna Giuliotti, who produced Shakespeare in Love, Hidden Figures, the Silver Linings Playbook. She is amazing. Wow. And I hope, I hope it'll get made now that every strike is over. And there's a guy in California who just adores Bluff and hopefully, uh, sorry, uh, uh, social crimes. And he is dying to do social crimes. And there's, I don't want to say her name, but there's a very famous actress who really wants to do it. And we'll see if that comes true. But you know, it's all, listen, honey, I was privileged to just be able to write them. That was, they were gifts. Well, we'll have to have you back when that happens. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath. So. No. <laughs> and we're going to just encourage our readers to, to get the books and listen to the books and enjoy the books. And uh, yeah, it's great over the holidays. I think it's, I always give books away at the holidays. I think it's such a great gift. I think it's something people really enjoy. I think. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love your show. I love you guys doing this segment because this is a, not everybody is interested or uh, doing a very in-depth studies that are meaningful about rich people. They're just interested in sort of the Kim Kardashians and all that sort of thing. But, you know, there's a hidden world out there that still exists and it's less hidden because of the internet and everything. You know, my first tweet that I ever did was, we thought he would come in another form, but the devil is the internet. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> now AI. Mm. I would encourage everyone to follow Jane on social media because some of your- I have no social media, darling. I have none. I, I, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Well, it's yeah, private. 
Amazing. And Facebook, but I, yeah, but I don't even, I, 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 I just click on it and. That social media chain. I mean, those pictures are unbelievable that you post. You know, I thought I was dying. I was supposed to be dead by my birthday, which is next week, which is a whole other story because I had this very, very horrible cancer that is very rare. But anyway, that's another story. But I sat, I started just posting all these old pictures and everybody really loved them. So I said, all right, if you want oh them, I'm going to keep posting them. So what is Jane's handle? Yeah. What is your handle on Instagram, Jane? I have no idea. Jane's Latin Hitchcock. Good for you. It's Jane. And don't ask me my password because I did have it on my phone. Yeah, we don't want you to share that, Jane. That's fine. I mean, I follow you and I just love all the. You're a doll. I love all the pictures. Yeah, it's Jane Stanton Hitchcock on Instagram and. I and Facebook, people. Facebook. I know I'm on Facebook because I'm sub what what what, ha what happened is it's, you're supposed to. Um, but I never go. I just want to make it clear. I never go on these sites so that I don't know who's messaging me half the time. And so if I don't get back to you, it's not because I'm being snobbish. It's because I haven't seen your message. Okay. <laughs> it did take you a while. I mean, I messaged you on Facebook, and it did. What take year? Oh God, I think it was maybe last year. And then finally I got a message back from you. And well, because I never go on. Oh no. And I messaged no, and I messaged you and I thought, oh, what the hell? I'm gonna reach out to her, like told Laura about you. And and it was wonderful to get your message. And I'm so happy to connect with you. And you and when I was joking around with my sister today or talking on the phone and I said she's lucky she doesn't live in Boston because she would have a tea drinking stalker, you know, coming to her house. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna get to Washington <laughs> soon and we're gonna come well, well yes yeah, come for dinner. We'll, we'll dish more and then and then the real names come out. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to make plans for that. We have to bring her a really good bottle of wine. Okay? Yeah. No, 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 no. Just bring me your cute selves and good spirits. That's all I want. Okay. Jane. Jane, it's been a pleasure, Jane. Oh, for me too. You know, all of these, when you, when you, when you face death, and I, this is a little bit serious, every moment in life is different. And this has been a great moment for me. So thank you. Thank you for us too. You too. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks again, Jane. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Bye, hun. Bye, everybody. Hun. <laughs> murder. Murder. Murder.